This is Mike Palmer. I hope you stick around to listen to a really fascinating conversation with Eunice Ofori in a bitch. He's really interesting, got a unique background out of Ghana and then higher education, teacher education, and universal design for learning here in the U.S. One apology heading in, my audio was not that great. I did clean it up a little bit, but please bear with us during today's episode. With that, hope you enjoy my conversation with Eunice today. Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. I'm joined today by Eunice Ofori, who has a PhD in curriculum and instruction with an emphasis on instructional design and technology. She's a senior instructional designer at the Center for Engaged Learning and Teaching at Tulane University. She's also a faculty and program coordinator at the School of Professional Advancement. Eunice, welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you so much. And thanks for the opportunity to speak with you and your audience. Absolutely. Yeah. And you have an interesting background. We always start there. So can you share with us how you got to this point in your professional life? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm originally from Ghana, which is located in the western part of Africa. We moved here. My husband and I moved here 2011. <laughs> we moved here 2011 when he started his PhD program. And then I, I you know, I, I came later on with my oldest son. So I have been an educator for probably <laughs> 20 years prior to starting, you know, prior to, to migrating to the U.S. And I've taught elementary, middle school, high school for many years. So even when coming in to the, to the U.S. and I wanted to, you know, get into education, I, I've, I've always been very interested in looking at how the Ghana education system, you know, compared with, the, with American education. And we have had and we all know that. America is, is the best place to be. It's, it has so many great opportunities. So coming in, I really wanted to learn how the American education system worked and how I can best be able to support, you know, whatever support I can provide for Ghana education service to help improve education. And one of the, the, the things that I was very intrigued about is providing accommodation for students with disabilities. And that was something that was missing right. from what I was. So I really wanted to learn more about how to do that, how it's done, mm -hmm. and be able to give back there. So yes, yeah, and, for, and, and for folks who care about things like universal design for learning, yes. there's a whole body of knowledge, set of trends that we're going to get into with Eunice in a little bit, dig a little further there, but there's more to your story. This basically brought you from Ghana, teaching in Ghana, studying in Blacksburg, Virginia, go Hokies at uh, Virginia Tech. And that ultimately led you to where you are now, which is in, at Tulane in yes. New Orleans. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So yes, so Tulane University, a part of my role at Tulane University is a senior instructional designer. And also I work as the program coordinator for the teacher preparation program, specifically with a, with a special education specialty. And I also I teach for them. So I teach some of the undergraduate courses as well. Um, and I really enjoy what I do there. Majority of the, the work I do focuses on advancing innovation and ensuring that education is accessible to all students, regardless of you, whether you have a disability or not. Right. So my, my PhD research focused on instructional message design for mobile learning in looking at creating instruction to put on mobile devices, looking at it from an accessibility standpoint and a learning standpoint and how that those, those two come together to help every learner 
to get the, the most from the instruction that is put on the devices. That's going to be interesting too, where you probably have more use cases yes. based on your experience in Ghana and yes. your experience understanding, you know, teacher education in the U.S. And then you're also a mom, right? So you've, you've yes. been working through that lens as well in terms of how that intersects with all of the education touch points that are out there. We talked a little bit about universal design for learning. I know that and special education both came up when you were telling your story. Can you give us a little more context around really both those things? Because it sounds like they're both pretty central to your educational mission. Yeah, absolutely. So my desire um, started off. So one of my kids received special education services um, in the school system. He's 10 years now. He's doing really well. Um, so the, the desire for accessibility and special education all really stemmed from that. So seeing how well he had done, how, he, you know, all the services you know, sitting through IEP meetings, 504 meetings and all of this. So you see, he's not on IEP now. He moved from IEP to 504 okay. and he's doing really well. So I, I'm like, you know what? I think I have lived it. I know what that is. And I am out to really support other families and provide the support that they need. And I, I, I was just kind of toying with the idea. I wasn't really sure in what capacity I would engage with special education and with UDL. But then now things have become a little bit clearer to me that, okay, you would be a practitioner, preparing teachers, supporting academic communities to help them create effective instructions for students with disability. So universal design for learning have always been where you think about personalizing that learning, because when you create instruction or when you are designing instruction, you want to create instruction with accessibility in mind. And once you do that, everybody else benefits from that, regardless of their disability. So coming into Tulane, I you know, I had different ideas. My position was a new position that was created. So I had to build all the structures and everything from scratch. So one of the things that I wanted to do was to create that awareness because we realized that coming into the pandemic, a lot of courses have been put online. Everything was more of like an emergency sort of thing. So I wanted to make sure that faculty are getting the the things they need. And some of the, the challenges I realized was that they have all this information, but they don't know how to use it. They feel more overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. So I created the Universal Design for Learning Summer Academy, one, to make it very accessible for faculty to be able to attend it. So we, we offer it over the summer. So we do it online. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make it fun and I wanted to make it such that they are able to engage wherever they are over the summer. It's not you know less of an academic burden you know, over the summer. So I created a program in collaboration with the Students with Disability Services and also to bring in the Innovative Learning Center for the technology part of it. And then the the main purpose of doing that is that you have all of these experts in one place and providing that support that they they would need. And I I wanted to also make it more granular. So for each half day, so it's a three, three half days, For each day, we focus on one principle of universal design for learning. So we focus on one principle, talk about the principle, how we can apply it in our syllabus and course design. And then we also have something we call the speed dating style of tech demo. (laughs) So we put put the the participants in the breakout room. And then for each day, we have different facilitator in the breakout room. And we talk about tech tools that 
is connected to that particular principle. Right. So for example, multiple means of representation is one of the principles. So we talk about accessibility, how you can make your, your content accessible, how you can use the tools that are already pre-built. Pre because in terms of the accessibility, most of the things are very available to us. We just don't know that we have it. Like on your phone, you have text-to-speech software. You have software that you can use to test whether your, your PowerPoint is accessible or not. So just creating that awareness and in a more fun, interactive way to help the faculty get the most out of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we made it this far in the conversation without talking about artificial intelligence, but, but there I go. I, I brought it up. It, it's a year where I think everybody's had to rethink their relationship with technology and how some of these tools are emerging. It's still early. It's been about a year since ChatGPT came out, but I have always been struck by how much folks who think about universal design for learning stay on top of emerging trends in technology. And I know you did research on like mobile delivery of instruction. Do you have any thoughts on how some of this new, you know, a lot of technology is assistive you know, and people don't realize AI can actually be an assistive technology. Do you have any thoughts on where some of this might be applied in some of the work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was really intrigued, um, intrigued with um, AI. So I, we actually, actually just finished a five series AI in our department. So I created that in, in collaboration with the Innovative Learning Center in kind of helping faculty to think about one, what is the AI? Really letting them create the tools themselves. Yeah. Now, now that you've created the tools you, the, themselves, think about how your assessment looks like. Mm -hmm. Because there's so much out there. AI is here to stay. So yeah. what can you do, really, to be able to support your students, right? Mm -hmm. Can you harness the use of AI? Can you utilize that, incorporate that into your teaching and learning, right? So, you know, so we did that five series AI, but then th there is always the opportunity for utilizing that as a text-to-speech software. I, I put the chat GPT on my phone and I can even just speak and it would, it would create that text for me. Right. Uh, so there has been a lot of advances in technology and I'm always intrigued to learn more because in the field of technology, there's always trends and things change all the time. This past March, I did a, a conference presentation on utilizing text-to-speech for student success and, you know, kind of sharing what are some of the, you know, text-to-speech software that is already available there. Right. Right. But definitely AI makes it so much more easier that yeah. way for, you know, students with disabilities who find it difficult to perceive or to even learn different concepts, right? They can learn some of them. You can say, hey, you know, uh, chat GPT, tell me this on a five, you know, fifth grade level, right? And then it's able to tell you exactly that. So I think AI would change the world of assistive technology mm. and students with disability in, in a really um, great way. Yeah, because yeah. your point about, you know, UDL and having things available in different, you know, flexible formats so yeah. that that was the thing that was really eye-opening when I first learned about it because I was thinking more about advancing within a particular type of delivery. And then what I realized through UDL is that it's more by opening things up so that it's available in different modes, it allows people, allows the learner the flexibility to kind of consume the content in whichever ways makes sense. The other aspect of the AI that's been getting my wheels turning is that it's not just text, it's also visual. And this gets me back to concepts like alt tags on images, which is something that very much came out of, I learned about that through right. folks who are really advocating for UDL where, you know, TikTok generation want everything to be visual, but at the same time, your images 
need to be tagged in such a way and described in such a way that if someone who's visually impaired right. were engaging with it, how widely understood is UDL? Is UDL something that's resonating with your colleagues and folks you know in Ghana as well? Um, not a whole lot in terms of that. And I think there's still a lot of work to be done. I took a course in educating exceptional learners. And in developing countries, about 98% of students with disabilities do not even get the opportunity to go to school. So I think things are changing. Prior to coming to, you know, start my graduate education here, I didn't know the concept of autism. I didn't know the concept of accommodation. I didn't know how to provide access in a way that you can provide multiple ways that students can tell you they understand concept, right? Yeah, yeah. So I did. I had no concept of that. But there is so much that I think uh, you know uh, America has is so far ahead in terms of that. And I'm sure I know there is still a lot to be done with the IDEA. You know, legislation. It's huge that students with disabilities can be in the general education classroom and be able to get the support that they need. So I think a lot more work. I never knew any of these concepts prior to starting um, graduate school here and learning the things myself. So I use it. I mean, every opportunity I have, I advocate for that. So one of the things that I want to do with some of my other colleagues in different universities is to do some webinars. So we we did one in University of, I think, University of Angola. Mm. I forgot the name of the university, but I did a UDL um, program for them. So I'm like, Hey, if you guys are interested, it's a way for me to give back. I can come and do the program for you. So we are kind of gradually getting that, you know, opportunity so we can collaborate and do a couple of webinars for them, but you know, helping people to understand. So for example, the class, the undergraduate class I teach when the student do reflection, I chose to change the way students tell me they understand the concept and had people create videos or audios as opposed to writing a paper. Yeah. And so many students are like, you know what? I have ADHD. I have a really hard time sitting to type it out. Yeah. But text-to-speech read the content to me, and I'm able yeah. to express myself in audio or video. Excellent way. Mm-hmm. So more and more students are using that alternative way to tell me they understand it. So is learning taking place? Absolutely. Le- learning yeah. is taking place. It's just a different way that we, the students are engaging with the content mm-hmm. and also telling us, how, you know, how they engage with it and how, what they understand from that content. Yeah. Um, so I think it's absolutely important that we are able to reach out a little bit more. Yeah. For global opportunity, I guess, around UDL, because it has right. you in its name. The U stands for universal. So you would imagine if right. you can cover the universe, it should be able <laughs> to span the globe at least. And it is something every time I've talked to folks about it, there is some nodding of the heads and some awareness that this is sort of the right direction. It does feel like there've been some breakthroughs in recent years where, you know, it does feel like the pandemic woke folks up to the power of online learning, the importance of it, and then also some of the gaps that were there pre-pandemic that hopefully are starting to get addressed where, you know, when everything moved to Zoom, that wasn't as easy on some folks. And when some curricula was not really as UDL friendly, perhaps as it could have been, right. it was a, a difficult early stage. But my impression is that, you know, the work you're still doing on the instructional design front, there's plenty of work to do, but it does feel like we've made meaningful progress. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I've made a lot, you know, a lot of strides in that, you know, expanding the uh, knowledge base, you know, creating opportunities for conversations to be had about 
universal design for learning. And so I think I, I had mentioned that my research was on instructional message design for mobile learning. And the idea was actually from Ghana. Because I realized that a lot more people do not have access to Wi-Fi as much as we do. So most people use their cell phones as a, a means of, you know, getting access to content. So I'm like, yeah. why don't we make sure that what we are putting on the devices makes sense for them? And then I also realized that so I was initially going to collect data from Ghana, but I realized that it's also... It's also very relevant for the U.S. Also, there are areas in the U.S. that also uses mobile devices yeah. that also makes use of that. So really, it's a universal sort of thing mm -hmm. that not just in the developing country, but in a developed country like, like the United States, yeah. you know, all of that conversation really is important. One thing that the first when I was actually interviewing for the position, I had live captions turned on and live captions was a life saver for me personally. Yeah. Even though I was an educator, I was more used to British English than American English. So I'm like, wow, American talks so fast. I don't feel that anymore, but the only way that I can follow a lesson was to read a live caption. So yeah. having a live caption or having a, a caption video is not only benefiting those who have disabilities and maybe might not be able to assess the content in any other format. Somebody might have English as a second language. Somebody might, you know might be in a maybe a noisy environment like Starbucks or some other place. Yeah. Um, so thinking about all of that, you know, in terms of universal design for learning, in terms of accessibility, it's really important to help to help everyone. So I always attribute the fact that the education I received at Virginia Tech has made me to be the career person that I am today, confident in myself and com confident in my ability, coming from a different culture and yeah. really integrating in the American culture and really believing that I can do what I'm doing. So I always advocate for that and help, you know, academic communities to really think about how to bring that to bear to help everyone be successful. It reminds me also of topics that we covered a bunch when the pandemic was first hitting around digital inclusion Right. And some of the things you're talking about where like realizing that our phones are for a lot of people, like the primary way in which they're going to interact with content, online content, so that when you're designing, try to be empathetic to that end user and that mm -hmm. use case. It's a great example of where UDL actually makes a lot of sense. I'd love to hear a little more of your perspective or your advice, I guess, for folks out there, because I do feel like I don't think I've really interviewed anyone who's had your exact path into education and, you know, your perspectives on the American education system. Because also, if you're looking at K-12 in Louisiana, like, I've got parishes down there, and I don't even know how that goes. But is there anything that kind of bubbles up to you with the breadth of experience that you have? Any advice for folks who care about education, things they might miss? If, I guess one thing you've been talking about is that it sounds like Americans might take for granted at times how well-equipped our educational systems are. It's really easy to talk about the problems. It's not always as easy to appreciate things like the level of accessibility and awareness of difference, neurodiversity. A lot of those trends really research in the U.S. has been at the forefront of that. Anything else like that, that from your perspective, you think might be helpful for our listeners? American education is very decentralized mm. in a sense that all like Ghana education uh, service or Ghana education system, it's very centralized in Ghana. Yeah. So I feel like if an impact can be done, it can be very impactful, yeah. right? But 
for example, we lived in Virginia. So my kids lived in Virginia. One of my kids had an IEP. And then in Virginia, they were all traditional public schools. So, you know, you live here, your kids go to school here. It's zoned. It's easy, right? It was easy. So before my oldest son even got to the U.S., he already had a school going. So it was a walking distance to school. Then we moved here and he had to also do an, an assessment to see whether he qualified for special education services or not, even within the U.S., which I was not very aware of. But Louisiana system is a little bit different from the system that Virginia has. Very Napoleonic down there. Yeah, yeah. Right. Very different. But then also New Orleans is the only city in the U.S. that has all charter schools. So meaning that charter schools, meaning that they are all public schools, but privately managed. So my kids are all three of them are in three completely different charter school systems. (laughs) So Sam, so I think that that started during after Hurricane Katrina, when some of the schools were feeling they needed to make sure that they, they do it that way. So there's a lot of good in there, but also there is also different ways to look at like the same thing. So for example, when we moved from Virginia here, um, my kid did not qualify for special education services based on the parameters that I use here. So instead of this, um, the IEP, he has 504 plan, which is also, you know, legally binding document. But I would say, you know, moving from an IEP to 504 plan, he has improved tremendously. Interesting. I would say that way because every three years they do the assessment. So just helping him to understand that, hey, you own your own learning, right? A special ed teacher does not necessarily have to be in the classroom with you. You can do this, right? He has made tremendous improvement. So the system really helped him. And really one of my main purpose of remaining in the United States was because of him. Because I realized that back home, you know, from my experience, there was really nothing for him. Yeah. So he, he was diagnosed to be on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so well, there was really nothing for him. So I needed to make sure that I can learn everything that I can. Mm-hmm. All in the process of helping him, I can also help others and bring others with me mm-hmm. uh, in that way. So I think there's so much great things that the American education system has, you know, in place. But there's also, you know, a long way to go. And you're talking about the decentralization. I imagine as someone who's been in like teacher development, teacher training, instructional design, it's almost like you have to continue to win the same fight everywhere rather than if it was a little more top down, you could say, this is the right way to do it. Now everyone just go ahead and do it. What's the right path forward, I guess? This maybe speaks a little bit to, you were talking about, you know, trying to design more of a community of practice where... You, know, you get other educators together. UDL very much seems to operate that way, where folks who've been exposed to it tend to continue to connect and compare notes. What are some of your thoughts about how we can maybe affect positive change, you know, addressing some of the decentralization that's here in the U.S.? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I really do believe that being intentional about learning about different aspects of, you know, accessibility issues is very important. And sometimes I, we're just, I was just talking to a group of my colleagues and I'm like, sometimes if you are affected by disability, it's easy for you to jump in there that I can do it, right? Yeah, yeah. But when you look at the statistics, disability is everywhere. It doesn't really discriminate in terms of race, in terms of color, you know, and in our classroom system, 
it's all there in the workplace. It's there. So being intentional about continuing on with that conversation, expanding on the skills that you know, and being open to learn about different things. Like I, I had a really huge eye-opening, you know, experience during the conference when there was a presentation on ADHD in the workplace, right? Yeah. And I learned so many things, even though I'm doing work in, you know, in special education, hearing from someone who actually has ADHD in the workplace and telling you about, you know, how did you, I'm like, wow, that is fascinating. That's amazing. So I think really being open to it and learning because things change all the time. There's different trends that are happening all the time. So really knowing the tools that you already have available, being curious and being intentional about expanding on your skills and learning how, you know, all of these structures come in place to better support structures in school, structures in the, in the workplace really goes a very long way to help you better understand the people, the diverse group of people that we engage with every day in our lives. Fantastic stuff. I'm talking to Eunice Ofori out of Tulane University, doing interesting work in instructional design, universal design for learning. If folks want to learn more about the stuff you're working on, is there anywhere they should go? Yes. To learn more about the work that I do, you can go to CELT at Tulane.edu. So that's the Center for Engaged Learning and Teaching yes. at Tulane University. So I have a lot of my work there. And then I also do some work with School of Professional Advancement here at Tulane University as well. I will include links to that for folks who are curious in the show notes. Eunice, as we're wrapping up, any concluding thoughts, takeaways for our listeners as they head back to their lives? Absolutely. So all of us are leaders in many different capacities. So be passionate about ensuring that wherever you find yourself, whether you are in the capacity of education or in the workplace, regardless of people's abilities or disabilities, you want them to be able to assess any form of information that you are providing for them. So always go to the next step to ask a question. Would I be able to get to my audience? Would everybody be able to assess this content? So by spearheading the initiatives and leveraging technology, customizing curriculum and content and providing accommodations, you can help students and you can help people on the field fully engaged in the, in the classroom experience. You want people to believe in this believe in themselves to know that everyone you come in contact with have an asset. They have something to bring to the table. How can you harness the assets that they have to be able to enrich your life? So always look at that, you know, look at other people, you know, the diverse group of people we engage with as bringing the asset to the same space. And once you think about it that way, regardless of their abilities, you are a little bit more open to harness that, that asset and the ability they have to enrich your life as well. Amazing stuff with Eunice Ofori out of Tulane by way of Foxburg, Virginia, by way of Ghana. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Absolutely. My pleasure. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please subscribe, write us a review, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. <laughs>